When kids just won't listen, parents often feel stuck between two choices, to give in or get angry. It's exhausting. We give you the top techniques directly from the experts, helping you on your path to a more peaceful, respectful, and joyful life with your kids. We are discussing tools that get kids to listen today, building rapport, providing age-appropriate preparation, and teaching coping skills to children and parents as well. Stephanie Applehands is a certified child life specialist with extensive experience creating and implementing plans of care for children and their families to use during their hospital stay and upon returning home from hospital. She's all about collaborating with members of interdisciplinary teams to advocate and provide the best care for patients and families. She also creates presentations and trainings to continue to educate others regarding the needs of children. In this episode, she shares a list of toys to use with kids that are not only fun, but also tools to facilitate building rapport and getting into conversation. Stephanie also explains why getting on eye level is so important for kids and some other techniques that can be used in or out of the medical setting. There are a whole bunch of child life tips and techniques out there that can be directly applied to home situations and we'll talk about a lot of those today. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Here's Stephanie. Stephanie Applehands, welcome yes. to Getting Kids to Listen. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, I love talking to child life specialists very much. My first question for you is, what do you love most about working with kids? Sure. Um, so I love a lot about working with kids. Um, maybe the most is when I can actually find um, that one thing that engages them. So I really um, kind of building rapport with them helps me, and we'll talk about that later, but um, once I can find that one thing that they really enjoy, that I kind of make that connection with them. And then once that bond is there and we make that connection, that's kind of the most enjoyable thing for me because I've built trust with them and we can play. And now I'm like their safe person and they sort of open up their world to me. And um, that's probably my favorite thing about working um, with kids and teenagers um, in the hospital or, or outside of the hospital. You've been in a hospital setting for the 10 or so years that you've been doing child life? Yes, yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what it is that the environment looks like, maybe a little bit of what a typical day looks like for you um, in that setting? Sure. Um, so it's been a little different over the years. Um, when I first started, I worked at um, Monroe Carroll Junior Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt, and that's where I was for the majority of my career. Um, but I worked in different areas there. So I started in the inpatient um, unit, which was for pediatrics and it was surgery and trauma. So if you can picture um, walking into a hospital where you have to buzz in so they can let you onto the unit and then it had um, a circle shaped, multiple, three different circle shapes um, and had, um, I think it was eight beds on each unit. 
and I would go um, meet with the nurses, talk with them about what was happening for the day, and then go ahead and start seeing patients. Um, and when I say talking to the nurses to see what's happening for the day, um, that would mean what procedures are happening, um, when they're happening, and then that would help me to go about my day as far as um, knowing if I need to provide support for them, preparation for them, maybe before a surgery, or if I need, if I already missed a surgery, if they had it in the morning, then I could go back and do play with them to help kind of debrief um, about the experience that they had. Um, the other area that I worked in was um, the orthopedic clinic, and that was outpatient, but it was still attached to the hospital. So it looked like a typical clinic where you would walk um, walk in, check in, and then you would go back to a clinic room. And we did a lot of um, procedures there. It was heavy procedure based for the kiddos. So um, x-rays, cast on, cast off, sometimes pin removals that would help bones to stay in place while they healed. Um, and then the last physician before I moved to where I am now um, was working at Williamson Medical Center. They partnered with um, Monroe Carroll Jr. at Vanderbilt, and I worked on two units. I worked inpatient there, as well in their pediatric unit, as well as in their emergency room. Um, and throughout my career at um, Vanderbilt, Monroe Carroll Jr. at Vanderbilt, I covered any area that they needed support for. So we cross-covered each other, and then we also had a specific unit that we were responsible for cross-covering. So. We could work in the PICU, we could work in the emergency room, we could work in radiology, um, we could work in oncology, we could work anywhere in the entire hospital to provide support to our coworkers, um, as well as provided um, coverage at night and on weekends too. Yeah. So any so anywhere in the hospital where there would be a kid. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. Anywhere that they would touch. Um, mm -hmm. And then where I am now, um, I'm providing, I just finished up maternity um, leave coverage, and then I'm doing PRN coverage. And our hospital is the emergency room primarily, and then also in inpatient, um, and then they have a PICU also. Is there a, is there an age? I mean, I know that in a hospital, everyone under 18 is considered a child. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific age range when you find yourself working with most or that you think um, child life is kind of geared to more or? Sure. Um, so I think teenagers are obviously a challenge. Um, so I feel like the younger than teens are generally more of our focus, but there's also an age group. Um, it's usually nine months to three years old that are more susceptible to the traumas of going through um, a hospital, being admitted to the hospital, or even coming to the hospital for a different medical procedure. So that's the main focus um, is sort of that nine month to um, three years old age group that we try to see. So when, when I prioritize my day, meaning um, I can look, come in and look at the whiteboard, which tells us what patients are in there in the hospital. Um, it tells us their age. It tells us what they're, what they're there for. I'll look at that board and then I can prioritize, prioritize um, who I go to see in what order. And that would be the nine months to three-year-old would be number one, um, unless it's something where I see maybe a seven or eight year old that is having has a laceration meaning a really deep you know gash or cut that i would need to go see and maybe there's a 
two or three year old that's here for um, just a fever, which a fever could mean a lot of things, but I would go see the laceration first. So that's the age group in general, but I do try to see all of those patients, um, kids meaning any age all the way up to 18. Um, teens generally tend to do better at coping just because they've had more years to learn those skills, but sometimes they haven't. They could be, I've seen teenagers too that have been in the hospital and it's their first time and they really don't know any coping techniques. So yeah, so all of them, but primarily that nine month old to three years old is um, a very tough time for them. That's interesting about the kids under three or nine months to three. Um, I'm wondering if I'm wondering how dependent that is on the on the amount of time in the hospital or how you know close they are with their parents, et cetera. Um, I, we don't have to get into all that, and I'm sure there's plenty sure. of research around that. Um, <laughs> there is, yes. But like you were saying, you would you would tailor where you're going also dependent on the nature of why they're in there so correct um, it's not a, it's not a hard and fast rule that you would always prioritize under three right yes yeah. so it, it changes um it changes based on if i and if i know that they have if it's ed the emergency room versus like inpatient so maybe there's a nine month old and i know that they've been alone um so that could look different too so maybe they're in the hospital by themselves, then they're more susceptible and they would need support more so than maybe a seven or maybe even a three-year-old that is there with mom or dad. So we can prioritize that way too. So when a kid is first admitted to a hospital and just assume that it's their first time, um, I'm, I'm imagining for them a lot of, you know, it's all new and a lot of it's probably scary um, what, how do you differentiate yourself when you're introducing yourself, um, with the rest of the environment? That's just more strangers doing scary things. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, and that's something that it changes for each, the way that I introduce myself is different for each, um, pretty much each intervention. So like each child, um, each teenager that I see. Um, generally, I will just come into the room and tell them, you know, I'm Stephanie, I'm the child life specialist here. Um, I'll explain to them whatever would suit that specific situation. So let's say there's a um, three-year-old in there that is there for a fever. So I would say my, it's my job here to help kids to cope in the hospital. And I just brought in some fun things for us to play with when your child's getting checked out. Um, and generally bubbles are my key go-to all the time. Um, and it sounds silly, but I'll even use them with teenagers because they're like, well, I don't play with bubbles, but then you blow bubbles and then they're going to pop them and it distracts them because, you know, they're a teenager and it's not cool. So, um, I'll use those all of the time. Um, but then I'll move I, in. I still, I still carry bubbles around with yes, me everywhere. I, I love it. Yep. It's great. Um, and so bubbles are usually my go-to. So kind of once I introduce myself, I get down to their level. So not being a person that's standing over them and towering over the top of them, which doctors and nurses do in general, just because that's how, you know, that's not their role essentially. So I'll get down onto their level, eye level, um, get up close to them where they can hear me. 
Um, and I'll be that one person that is there to talk to them and will play, will engage in some sort of play, whether that's bubbles or a spinny toy or whatever. And then that shows them that I'm, and I'll, sometimes I will directly tell them that I'm not here to do anything to you. I'm just here for us to play. Um, and I'm, or I'm here to answer questions for you, or my job is here to explain what the doctor and mom or dad are talking about for older kids. And then that's my quick way of showing them that I'm not a scary person. I'm not going to hurt them. I'm just there for them. And so that changes for each age group of how I kind of introduce myself and tell them that I'm not, because if you think about going into the room and I try to go in the room before the doctors and nurses do, but sometimes we all go in at the same time. So then there could be like three or four or five of us in the room. And that's pretty scary too. So I try to um, get to them as quickly as I can and do a really quick explanation of who I am and what I do for mom and dad um, before I start engaging with their child, just so they don't, they're not like, who are you? What are you doing to my kid? Yeah. So just the, I'm to summarize, I'm hearing that you, um, you're, you're bringing fun things and you're Mm -hmm. coming right out and saying, I'm not here i'm not going to do anything to you i just yes. let's just play for now um, yes you're you're talking to the family about helping them cope yes um and then you talked about getting on their level mm-hmm. um getting on i getting to eye level yes and then the idea of kind of limiting how many people are being introduced at once yes yeah. So I'm, I'd like to explore kind of all of those really. Sure. Um, and I'd also like to just kind of keep an eye out for which of these tools can be used outside of the hospital setting. Sure. Um, so maybe, maybe it's hard, hard to imagine when you know, a parent or whoever outside of the hospital would be just showing up and saying, here's some toys, kids. Um, but there are, you know, plenty of opportunities with our own kids to get on their level, etc. cetera. Um, so, yeah, can you just say more about, um, well, that's specifically the, the kind of the eye level thing. Sure. Um, is that just a... Is that just a, a trick that happens to work? Is there is there research behind that? Do you is is there a certain age where that works? And and you know what is it what is it that makes that effective? Sure. That's a lot of questions um, in one, but I want to no, I want to no. know it all. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so that's a good question about the research. I'm not. Sh- I I know there is specific research about um, developmental support, and it would be in that. But I. I couldn't pull it up right off the top of my head for you, um, but there's a lot of um, like Piaget and Erickson. Um, when you kind of look through the developmental levels, it's kind of it's not specifically in there, but it's just what child life specialists have tailored in our approach, and we learned that in our internship um, how to um, interact with kids and how to engage kids in play and build rapport. Um, it works with any age group getting on eye level, definitely. Um, and just not being a, a scary person that's standing over them um, at any age is helpful. Um, they, even teenagers tend to engage more the closer I get to them. Um, and it kind of 
um, breaks down that barrier of, I mean, teens is a good example of, um, you know, they're kind of in that age where they're fighting back against parents and they're fighting back against authority and they're trying to find out who they are and build themselves up and they feel like an adult, but they're not really an adult. So kind of showing them that you're on their level and you're not there to challenge them. You're just there to be on their level and support them. Um, as far as a skill, that being a skill to use outside of the hospital, definitely. Um, for years, I mean, since I was like 10 years old, I would be, I've been babysitting and then just being a child care provider outside of work um, for extra money because child life doesn't pay that much. Um, so it's a passion, but you know, usually when you have a passion, your passion doesn't pay that much money, which is fine. Um, so I would use that whenever I would meet new families. Um, I would um, get down on the eye levels, you know, either sit on the ground or kneel um, and bring something fun with me. Pretty much every child that I've ever met in my entire life, I'll bring something with um, so that we can play with. And that play is um, key foundation to building rapport quickly, um, as well as not being, like I said, getting down on their level or sitting on the ground with them um, is helpful for them to not be scared of you. Um, and if you think about like family functions, or if you haven't seen a nephew or a niece in a while, and if someone tells them that they should go and hug you um thinking about that and how weird that is without them knowing you and you're this big tall person and um so that kind of happens a lot so once you get to know them and you interact with them and play with them then that's more acceptable than if you're just they don't know you and you know you hugging a strange person that you're not familiar with right right um so again, thinking about a, a parent in the home, um, I'm wondering if there are situations when it's more important to get on a child's level, or sure. if there's a if there's a duration or um, any other specifics about it. Sure. Um, um, so I have a seven month old, so I'll just use that as an example. Um, when we play, if you think about playing with him or, um, teaching him things or inter interacting with him, um, if I'm trying to stand and he's on the floor and he's crawling, um, he can't see me really, unless he's straining his neck to look up and try to play and interact with me. Um, <clears throat> when he's, he's able to pull up now. So if he sees me and wants me and wants my direct attention in front of his face, then he'll pull up and wants to be picked up and help. But if I want to engage and teach him things, and if we want to play together, then I need to be on the floor with him at his level. Um, and if thinking of older kids and maybe like disciplining and, and teaching them to listen and things like that. Um, if you're not at their eye level, um, it's going to be less likely for them to pay attention to you and actually see um, that you want that you want them to do something or you want something from them. So that's kind of like an extra level of letting them know that you're right there. This is actually what I want you to do. And I want you to see me and know that I want you to do that. Um, 
and it just builds that bond. So if you're any at any age, the more you play with your kids at their level, um, it's going to build that bond. It builds that trust. They know you're there. Um, you know, they can use you to pull up on you. They can use you to play. They can use you to, you know, bounce ideas off of. If they fall, you're right there to catch them. Um, all of that just builds their um, resiliency, um, which will, you know, continue through life. Yeah. I know that... I have a long-winded answer, but... No, it's great. Um, I'm looking for all the all the details. And sure. I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of the devil's advocate and the people sure. who are saying, well, I just yes. don't have... I just don't have the energy to be rolling around on the, on the floor yes. or sure. I got bad knees. And, um, one of the first things that came to my mind around that is, um, you know, your bad knees are only going to get worse as you age. Uh -huh. And it's kind of like, if you want to be doing this with your grandkids, yeah. um, you know, in 30 years or whatever, mm -hmm. um, this might be just the, just the exercise um, or, or a goal for an adult to say, I want, you know, I want to be able to get on the floor and, yes. and, and meet my child where she is. Yes. Um, do you think that the position you're working a lot with kids who are in a hospital bed? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that change the dynamic? Does that have an effect on this kind of getting on their level? Um, and, and does just being on their back already have them at, at some type of, you know, nonverbal kind of. Yes. Uh, yes. It makes them. Yes, exactly. It makes them feel very vulnerable. Um, a lot of, a lot of what I see, which it kind of depends on, um, <clears throat> which if parents have been in the hospital before with their kiddo, generally they're going to sit on the bed with their child on their lap. But if they haven't been in the hospital before, meaning even coming to the emergency room, they might just pop their kid right on the bed and then sit in the chair. So that can be really scary for kids because now they're on this bed that they've never been on before. They're in the hospital. They're sick. They don't know these people. They don't know this bed. Mom and dad, they're not holding on to them. Um, so yes, that makes, that makes things a little worse. Um, if I walk and you can tell, you can tell. So if I walk in the room and I see a kiddo, it doesn't really matter the age. If I see them on the bed and they're looking terrified and mom or dad is like sitting, you know, they're, you can tell they're a little unsure about what they should be doing with their child. And I say, it's okay. You can, you can come sit together or you can hold, you know, mom or dad, you can hold him, you can hold her. Um, and then that brings like the whole tension of the entire room down because then the mom and dad are not separated. You know, they're back together. Everybody calms down. Um, so yeah, that can be, that can definitely be another added stressor. So, um, for my, for myself coming in, that's one thing. If I see that happening, I'll tell them that they can be together and then we'll keep that, um, for, for procedures too. So if we have to do a procedure in the room, um, we'll keep mom or dad, we'll keep the patient, um, on their lap. So there's different comfort positioning, um, which we can talk about later, but it's just, where essentially the child feels comforted by sitting on mom or dad, either chest to chest snuggling or facing out kind of in a, um, a hug position or um, like on the side where they're still getting held or between mom or dad's legs so they can kind of lay back and relax. Um, so all of those different things are helpful for them to calm. And then I generally just kind of sneak in wherever um, I can to try to meet them. Um, at their eye level and still bring something new, bring a book, bring a spinny toy. Um, we can do bubbles. And sometimes I don't have to be the one doing it either. If, um, 
if it's like stranger danger and they're still having a hard time building, I'm having a hard time building rapport with them, um, then I will give, you know, mom or dad the bubbles and then they can be the ones that will engage and play or I can give mom and dad something to play. So I'm just bringing them the tools to help them to cope and to help them to, um, to ease their anxiety. I don't necessarily have to be the one um, that's doing that. I'm just judging when I come in the room. I'm just making sure that I'm being very aware of how um, children and teens are acting and how the parents are acting and how they're feeling. And sometimes we do deep breathing, all of us, if it's, um, you know, it might be teaching the child to take some deep breaths and then also teaching mom and dad to take some deep breaths because as we, as a lot of people know, or maybe they don't know, if mom and dad are stressed, then the kiddo is going to be stressed and they can feel it. Yeah. Well, it's good to know we don't need professionals to do the bubbles. Or, no, we don't. <laughs> or a lot of other play activities. Um, and I was wondering if you have any ideas about kind of going back to that kids under three and the trauma that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if some of that has to do with their maybe inability to verbalize mm-hmm. um, what they want, that, you know, what type of comfort they're looking for. Whereas, whereas a five-year-old can negotiate uh, yes. better with the, with the parent. Yes. Um, so, so you're having, you're having to kind of read the child's mind a little bit yes. when they're, when they're that age. Well, and I also reach out to the parents too, that I guess I haven't said yet, but, <clears throat> um, asking them, you know, what they like. So, um, if I have time before a doctor or nurse comes in asking them, you know, what do they usually like to do at home? And if I have something like that with me or that, a toy that I can get for them. If, if they like Paw Patrol and I can find a Paw Patrol toy while they're there, um, we'll do that. Um, in our hospital, we have um, a great program called Kate's Cart. And so we have books that we're um, able to give to each patient that we see. So I'll try, if I know that they like cars, um, for example, then I'll go try to find a car book or if they like dinosaurs or if they like unicorns, um, I'll go try to find that and bring that in um, for us to play with and for them to have. So that's helpful too. Um, and then the parents can tell me, you know, at home, so I could say, um, you know, what helps them to cope at home when they get upset? What do you guys do at home when they get upset if they fall and get hurt? Or because um, maybe there's, um, maybe they still have a passy that they bring out when they get hurt, or maybe it's just snuggling and loving on mom or dad, or maybe they have a blanket or a stuffed animal. And sometimes we can find a blanket and a stuffed animal. And um, even though it's not theirs from home, sometimes that helps too. Yeah. Uh, the idea of having fewer people in the room. Yes. How do you think that would translate if it would to maybe a situation at home? Sure. Um, maybe again, a difficult situation, uh, you know, pertaining to this, to this show, the kid's not listening. You're wanting the, you're wanting the kid to do something and you just can't get through to them. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that, do you think that there would be a difference between um, when there's, you know, five people in the room versus mm-hmm. versus just yourself? Yes, of course. Um, so children in general um, can feel all of that energy, um, all, all of those other bodies in the room. Um, if it's people that they don't know, that's still going to add more stress and anxiety because they don't know them. They don't know what they're there for. Um, if if it's a situation of you have, I don't know, friends over for 
I don't know if anybody has tea anymore, but tea or coffee or whatever. Um, and, you know, you're trying to engage with them and not maybe necessarily playing with your child or your child's doing something else or they're, they're playing on their own and then all of a sudden starts doing things that you don't want them to do. Um, in that sort of situation, um, that's where getting down on their level um, and giving them that specific one-on-one -on -one attention that they haven't been getting, and that might be a reason why they're acting out. Um, so getting on, getting down onto a level, um, talking to them about what you want them to do, and then um, in those types of situations where, you, where you're actually at home in your environment and you, there are consequences in general, then you state those consequences or, um, you know, you give whatever system people use, you give them a warning if that's how that works, that, you know, you've asked them to do this, but um, being far away from them, if they're certainly not listening, isn't going to be helpful until you get down right to them on their eye level again, so that they know that you're paying attention and that you want them to do what you ask them to do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was just imagining like some scenes that I know I've seen, um, when, you know, you're at Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, and mm -hmm. the, the child has done something that, you know, the adults don't approve of. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, there's what I'll call kind of like a piling on effect where every adult has to say something to the oh, child. Yes, um, yes. I've seen that a lot. And, um, I'm wondering if that also kind of relates to, mm -hmm. you know, what you might think about the effectiveness of that versus, sure. versus if one of the adults were to address the situation, um, yeah. How do you, how do you think? That sure. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Um, well, I mean, just think about like, if you did something wrong and I told you and, you know, Bob told you and John told you, and I mean, if, I, if you have five people telling you, Hey James, you, you did this wrong. Hey James, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. Like, how does that feel? Like I can just imagine it in my head. I'm like, Oh, okay. I did it wrong. Um, it's going to, I mean, that's not helpful. Um, but if, if the, if the parent is there and they're able to, you know, say what they need to say, if the child isn't list, if someone else kind of chimes in, this is just me as a mom, but I would be like, it's okay, I've got it. And then me and kiddo, nephew, whoever that I'm taking care of, we can go and move into another room and then we can talk about what happened. Um, but I have, I think sometimes it's hard for parents when they're in a family situation because, you know, you know that you should listen to your parents, whatever the age is, you, you know, you're still going to want to listen to your parents and please your parents. So when it comes to your children, you just might have to let them know, like, it's okay, I've got it. And then you can go ahead because you definitely don't want a child to get bombarded by all of those extra feelings. And then they may feel like, wow, I really did something so wrong that everybody's mad at me. And yeah. maybe I can't do that, you know, ever again, when maybe they really didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't listen. Yeah, it really does set up for a tense situation because, like you said, we're, we're kind of geared to listen to our parents. And in my Thanksgiving dinner example, it's like, well, the parents' parents are there. And so if they, and so if they are jumping in, well, you know, it's hard for, it's hard to say, it's okay, I got it. Yes. Um, when it's when it's all your your family and your sisters and everything like that so right that's my like that's those are my like specific keywords that i've said since my 
child was born. <laughs> yeah. And, and you also said that you, you can always just leave the room, you know, if it's, yep. mm-hmm. if it's a situation that you don't like, then you can talk to your kid in another room. Sounds like you're doing a lot of kind of controlling the, uh, controlling, but managing the energy of the room and yes. who's mm-hmm. where and whether it's you getting down on the level or it's a kid being in their mom's lap, um, mm-hmm. just kind of being aware of the space that we're all occupying and um, how that is showing up to the child. Yes. Um, and yeah, that I can see how that would translate from to really to any situation, not just in a hospital. Yes, and I will add, just as you were talking, I was thinking that um, encouraging parents and even grandparents who have ever taken care of a child to think about um, <clears throat> why why they're acting that way. So why aren't they listening? If you're if we're at your Thanksgiving example. Um, so maybe everybody's talking and they're having their own conversations and who's looking at me, you know, if I'm the child, who's looking at me, who's paying attention to me, why is nobody talking to me? Because, you know, maybe it's an, it's the adult dinner and maybe that's, you know, they're the only child at the table or so a lot of times you have to think about those little things too. Are their needs being met? If they're not being met, then, you know, that might be bringing out that behavior, that unwanted behavior. And that can go all the way down to a very simple thing of like, if you're having that tea party and maybe you miss the time that it is for them to eat. So maybe they usually get a snack at this time, or, you know, maybe they're getting tired because you've, you've pushed the, t- the nap time a little longer because you have friends there or family there. So that's something to keep in mind too, that maybe, maybe they're misbehaving or maybe they're actually trying to get your attention for a specific reason. You talked about bubbles yes, and how crucial they are to working with children They're uh, my mm-hmm. and anyone in a stressed out situation. I, uh, works for adults too. It does, um, yeah. <laughs> do you have, do you have any other, uh, toy recommendations, anything else that, um, you think would, should go in that, in that toolkit of someone who's going into a situation that's going to be a challenge with a kid? Sure. Um, yeah, so Walgreens is great for a dollar spinners. Um, usually around every holiday, they have different um, spinners where you just push a button. And um, like for Easter, for example, um, they have little ducks and little like bunnies. Um, and there's just a button on there. So it's like um, something that you can hold cylinder shaped. And then on the top is a circle or rabbit shaped or whatever. And then there's a button that you hold and it spins inside and lights up. Um, those are just a dollar and they're great because they're just a quick, like attention grabber. And they're like, Ooh, what's that? It spins. And, um, can I hold it? And how can I push the button? And, you know, right there, you have like 10 minutes of holding, pushing the button, turning on and off. Um, so that's a really good one to have. Um, Play-Doh is my other favorite. Um, Play-Doh, I would give out every single day to every age group. Um, and I don't know when the last time was that you played with Play-Doh, but I would challenge you to get some and play with it again, um, because it keeps kids' hands busy. It allows them to keep their hands busy enough to talk to you about stuff. So 
maybe um, they're being bullied at school and they don't really want to talk about that with you, but you give them something to do with their hands and they all of a sudden just open up to you. Um, that's, a, that's a really important point. I just want to stop and, and give some more weight to that. Oh yeah, go ahead. Plato, something to do with your hands isn't necessarily because we want the kid to develop great dexterity. Mm -hmm. um, right. If it's facilitating a conversation and, um, you know, I, I can think really for myself, like uh, for people with ADD, um, yes. just all types of people, it's, it's hard to just sit there and chat mm -hmm. sometimes or yes. to go to certain places, you know, to go to an, an emotional depth or something mm -hmm. if we're not. I mean, I'm playing with my pen right now. Uh, yeah. I like to go. I like to go for a walk to to have a good conversation with a friend. Um, so it's important that we that we keep that in mind. That you know, the Play-Doh and the bubbles and anything else, they are they are tools. Yes, um, they are. They're not. And and as is play, it's it's a. Uh, it's it's all got a purpose more than just more than just we do this because it's fun exactly uh, what, yes. what's next anything else on your list of top toys um yes so let's see so bubbles spinners play-doh um and then i also like to have just um these are a little bit harder to find but um a seek and find book is great because um i don't know how old you are but i'm going to date myself and say the where's waldo books um are my favorite and you can find them, they have small versions of them now and they have the big ones. So I use, I've used those for, you know, like three-year-olds all the way up, depending if they're, you know, an older three-year-old, um, just we can look and find different shapes or, um, you know, teenagers, that's a challenge for them. Preteens, that's a challenge for them. That's a good one too, to have. Um, and like a stress ball, which Play-Doh's kind of a stress ball, but a stress ball is good too. Um, and sometimes like a pinwheel, something that they can blow is also fun to have with. Those are like the main key things for me. I'm kind of old school. So, um, I know other people have like to have iPads and things like that, but, um, I think that kind of takes away teaching them how to, you know, maybe sit still while we're all having dinner, if you finish first, or, um, it kind of takes away from them being engaged with the situation at hand. If you give them something else that completely shuts them down from paying attention to right. anything else. Yeah, and, and with some of those other toys, you have the opportunity to spontaneously, you know, make a little game with exactly. it and you can play, play with, with them. them. Mm -hmm. But when you hand them an iPhone and they're just like, they're going to show you how, how to use it. I mean, they're going to, yes. they're, they're all in and there's not a lot of room for anybody else. A That's lot. right. If you try to talk to them, they're like, right. not as happening. useful as they are for, for distraction. Yes. Um, not so much for engagement. Right. Um, what advice do you hear from professionals or just maybe authors or out there in the world that you think people should not follow? Um, sure. Something, something that, that we should stop doing. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so when I think about that question, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, the first one is, is in the hospital and it's maybe not, it's kind of like what people do and maybe just stop doing if you, if you bring your child to the hospital and, um, you know, they're crying, they're upset, they're nervous, they're scared and you tell them it's okay. Um, 
and I even find myself doing that at home sometimes and I have to stop myself from saying that because it's not okay. So if your child is sick and they go into the emergency room and they have to get whatever a shot and IV, um, they're scared. If you tell them it's okay, it's actually not okay for them because they're scared, because they're nervous. Um, and what you can do instead of saying it's okay is I know you're scared or I know you're nervous and, you know, let's talk about that. Or I'm sorry that you feel that way. Um, so validating how they feel, or I know your arm really hurts, you know, if they broke their arm or hurt their arm or, um, validating how they feel versus saying, um, it's, it's, it's okay because it's not okay. Um, the or other thing, even if it, even if it is okay, that's, you're kind of putting that out there for them and right. Not, not taking their experience in. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing, I was going to see if I could try to remember. Um, oh, so this, this is kind of something that, um, I see, I've seen often just over the years and maybe it's applicable, maybe not. It was, that's a really hard question to be honest. Um, but I would say, um, stop negotiating with your children is maybe a good one. Um, and maybe doing empty threats. So I feel like I see that a lot and hopefully that makes sense. So like if you're asking them or you're telling them to do something and there's a good reason for it, or you need to go somewhere and you know, you have, you're getting ready to go to school and they have five minutes and you've asked for them to put their shoes on and they're not cooperating. Um, those types of things where, um, if you start from a young age negotiating with them and they're not listening to you and you're not creating boundaries and you're not teaching them that um, there, there are times when you need to listen and when you need to do what I ask, then I challenge parents to think about how that's going to look in the future. So how that's does really, that affect? That's a really tricky one. Yes. I, think, I think negotiating yes. might, might even be kind of a loaded word because yes. it's, it's, it's hard to navigate when when you do want to negotiate and yes. you do want to yep. let them choose which cereal they're having yes. um or you want them to be able to, to negotiate their world yes. in a lot of ways so it's it's a tricky word because i think a lot of yes. people to a lot of people that just means um compromising and 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 it it, it means losing it means one person wins and another loses right. in some circumstances <laughs> and in others in others it's great so I, I can see why that is a that is a tricky one well, and you can give control without negotiating. So like if you want them to do something, you can still give them control of having choices, which I'm all about choices. And I feel like sometimes that gets forgotten. So if you give them the choice of doing maybe three things or two things to just keep it simple and those two things are exactly what you want to be done, they're just in different ways and that's helpful. And that way they're still learning that they're still learning skills that are applicable for school and for jobs and careers and down the line. Yeah. And then the, the other one you were mentioning about the, uh, saying it's okay. Yes. I just had another thought I wanted to throw out there that, um, I wonder how much of that is our own self soothing. Yes. You know, we're telling ourselves it's okay. And, um, yeah, we're we're reflecting how we want to feel, or mm -hmm. we're trying to manage our our frame, um, yeah, which is true. which is normal. It's it's why it's why so many people do it. It's why it's it's a really tough habit to break. Is yes. um, in 
to ourselves, that might be positive self-talk. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if we're if we're making that more of an edict or more of a, this is okay, and you and and you better be okay with it being okay. You know, it can it can get a little yeah uncomfortable and for the child exactly. And I caught myself doing that with our child too. And I I remembered or just reminded myself that. When I used to take care of kids babysitting and things like that, if they would fall, instead of saying, oh, you're okay, um, I'll say, um, was that a good fall or a bad fall? And then we would talk about if it was a good fall, then that means they really didn't get hurt and they're okay. But if it's a bad fall, then, you know, okay, well, we need to go get a Band-Aid or whatever and that kind of. So I have to think it's like a mind shift um, for yourself, like you said, so that it's um, you're not doing your own self you know, helping yourself to feel better, but then you're also focusing on them, but you're not making them worry that, oh my gosh, I fell and this is awful. What resources do you recommend most for just the average parent, let's say? Sure. Um, so I have a bunch, I'm trying to think, um, love and logic is really good for choices. Um, that's what I use. That's, really I've tailored a lot of my um work with love and logic um and then the other ones I'm trying to see if I can um websites are always hard I mean a lot of developmental information um that they could find like Vanderbilt has a good developmental website um especially if if there's kids that are on the spectrum or um, if you need to learn um, sign language or things like that, um, it's kind of hard. I guess I don't know where to direct specifically. That's all right. I just like to hear, you know, even just people's favorite books or. Well, I do have, um, if you want to learn more about child life, <laughs> childlife.org. Sure. Um, but then um, when we kind of talk about the hospital too, um, there's kids, um, kidsinpain.ca, which is um, a Canadian website that are teaching through um, parents and families about um, pain management techniques. So that's great. Um, the YMCA is really good too. That's a good website. Um, Child Life Mommy um, has... Um, the ability where you can email her for support and questions. Um, There's also a great artist who um, came up with her own books and she's, um, her website is dianealber.com and she has some really fun creative books that are um, help with like emotions and self-expression and creativity. And I just found those and those are really great too. Um, There's another um, group of books that are the, um, I'm trying to think of what they're called. They're really small books, but um, they're like silly. Um, there's different silly characters and they're almost like a hand-drawn colored. Um, so Mr. Silly or Mr. Sad or Mr. Grumpy or Miss, um, all these different kind of emotions. And those books are really fun too, especially for kids that um, it's a good thing to read them when almost like a social story so if they're in that bad mood you guys can read that together and it can kind of flip it around so i used those a lot um when i was younger nice yeah we will link to all of those uh, in the show notes um do you have any parting thoughts anything 
that you wish we talked about that we didn't get around to? Um, no, not really. I mean, I guess thinking about getting kids to listen, which I know is your main focus. Um, I, I asked my little um, eight-year-old nephew the other day, just preparing for this. Um, we were, he's not here, but we, um, the FaceTime, which is fun thing to do to keep in touch right now. Um, and I asked him how to get kids to listen. And he said that, um, he said adults should not yell or raise their voice at kids. And he said, talk nicely and try to talk about things they like. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I do every day at work. So, um, I thought that was great that he was able to tell me exactly, you know, the things that I really try to do hard every day when building rapport and helping kids to calm at work. So I thought that would be fun to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anybody's having trouble working with a specific child, you can always just ask that child what, what they think would work best for them. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you have to do it. It just is a way of exploring those options. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I've only recorded one show with a kid, but, I'm tempted to, to do a lot of them because, um, that would be fun. They be a great perspective. They, yeah. I mean, they're, they're listening all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of us, as we get older, we, we just, we just kind of forget what it's like. Um, what it's like to have someone standing over you, for example, what it's like to have a bunch of strangers in the room and, right. um, and, and to be three, I mean, that's just forever ago. So, um, yeah, the, their insight is really, is really great. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, thank you for your time today. It's been awesome having you and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. It's been fun too. I agree. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah. We'll, we'll get this show posted as soon as possible. And I hope that your, um, your hospital where you are stays nice and calm and, and manageable in these difficult times but fortunately that if the kids are all uh somehow immune from from this uh pandemic that would be kind of a miracle huh yes thank you and i'll actually tell you too um so that you can link it um i'll share a little video too that i found as well that's helpful for parents that are wanting to know how to talk to their children um about this virus as well so that if they are curious about that they can have that as a resource too Great. Well, thanks again for your time. And for everyone out there, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.